you kind of can't live the way I lived without doing things that were stupid and that you shouldn't have done and you regret. It, that 10 years really was me learning all the lessons of adulthood. It, like that, that phase was about 25 to 35 for me. And, and the, the hard realities of the world, how people actually work, what, how the world actually works. That's how I learned. I had to go through this. The, where I was emotionally, developmentally, what I had come out of, what my childhood was like, what my life was like. I can see, I can look back and see, I had plenty of opportunities to developmentally move through those stages quickly, but I just wasn't equipped. You know, I, I needed more time. We stand today. The Business Method. The business with method. a shadow. The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars and annual revenue and now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results economies and cultures there's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen now let's jump in today's show the business method okay noah how are Hi, my you? friends how are you chris <laughs> great we're, we're about ready to, to get Tucker Max on the microphone. Yes, yes. I remember like, I read him somewhere like 10 years ago. Yes, you've, you've read all his books. Is that correct? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So I've never read one, but I've heard a lot about them. So many different things. And I'm curious, like, what inspired you or what got you on the Tucker Max bandwagon to read all of the books? Well, the first one was, uh, I hope they serve uh, beer in hell. Uh, that uh, a friend of mine, like she told me, oh, it's a really funny book. You should read it. And uh, I started to read it, uh, and I finished it in one go. To be honest with you, it was so hilarious. I couldn't stop laughing. And yeah, uh, yeah and I was looking forward to the next book because, like, it's such well written, and and I was inspired. That everything that he was writing in it was actually true. It was his own life experience. Right. Yeah. It, it surprised me how someone can have such a blunt, honest opinion on anything uh, in a super funny way. And and what do you think it is about his writing that made so many people want to read it? Uh, I think the honesty of it. He was like the, I don't want to say the underdog, but like the winning underdog. He was different than the rest of the people. He was doing what other men were wishing. Uh, at the same time, he like he was studying in a super like, difficult and, and, and smart you know, uh, university, like one of the Ivy League universities. So he, he was definitely not a stupid uh, person, uh, but his entourage was like really funny. In the book, at least, they were really funny. Uh, uh, yeah. And the experiences, 
you know, that they had, like from, from being locked up naked in a hotel lobby to, <laughs> wake, to waking up in places that he don't remember how he got there. And for me, it was, uh, wow, this is really a lifestyle that, that, uh, that is too funny to be true. So uh, from your experience as, as being a guy, and I can chime in on this too, but how common do you think guys, this is, how common do you think Tucker's stories are for the majority of guys out there? Like, do you think other, other guys going to university or that grow up in their hometowns have similar stories? Is this a common thing? Is that why so many no. people like it? It's, it's no, an no, uncommon no. thing? Yeah, like like the only guys that I know that that had such a lifestyle were guys like uh, Eric von Morkovic, you know, as also known as uh, Mystery in the, in the in the book of the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, like these guys that I uh, that I hang out, they used to tell me these stories, and now suddenly I read the book about a guy with only these stories. So uh, yeah. so it was uh, yeah, it was uh, really hilarious, and you you don't see that a lot to be honest with you, because most people are not blunt most people you know they, they don't want to to raise above the mass and, and he definitely did he definitely right. did people and they usually don't document their life in such a open way because they they, they want to have a life after it you know yeah and i, th I think it definitely influenced uh, and i'm very curious what we're gonna we're gonna say that it definitely influenced his life he's encountered it quite a bit of controversy and some backlash from his books and his stories. What's your thoughts on, on the controversy that, that he's encountered from writing these books and even then creating a movie out of it? Yes, I, I think it's uh, normal to have that, to be honest with you, because society just doesn't accept people being so blunt about what they did and especially not the way he did it. So... And that's why a lot of pickup artists who have that st lifestyle, they, they always have like a pseudonym, you know, like they don't want to be open with their real name, but he was. And yeah. that uh, she got it and I think he feels it still until today. I don't think he cares too much about it. I don't think that will be his personality, but I'm curious to understand how, how it affected his life if he yeah. will have him do it. On the other hand, he will not have been famous. He will have not done it, so... Yeah, and, and from what I hear, he's he, his life is is quite a bit different nowadays. He's a family man. He's yeah, got he's two kids. I think he did personal development work and uh, making a shift in his life. So it'll be interesting to learn because he's he's an interesting character. You know, you and I chatted. I actually when when we thought about inviting him to the show, I I think I knew that he accepted the invitation, and I asked you whether we should accept the invitation or have them on him on the show or not, because I posted a, a quote from him about a year ago and there was just a backlash from the people who yes, saw my, saw my quote on Facebook yes, and the quote um, and the quote was like, if I, if I would have put Tony Robbins as the person that quoted, everybody would have loved it, you know, and, and said great yes. things. Cause it was like, I could have put the Dalai Lama for gosh sakes. Like the, <laughs> it was one of those like spiritual motivational type of quotes, you know? And, uh, because the name Tucker Max was at the end of it, you know, people fired back. Why are you associating with that type of person? Da, 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 da. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and and the thing is, is like I, he's 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 a different human now. And when he wrote those books and those stories, he was in his early and mid twenties and uh, doing what a lot of guys do in their early and mid twenties, 
whether people want to know those stories or not, you know, and, and, and it's actually probably what a lot of guys want to do if they're not doing it in their earlier mid twenties, you know, and that's probably why the book became so the book and books became so popular because people either admire that and then there's people that hate that and slam that. And uh, so it's really interesting. It'd be, it'd be fun to talk with him about his journey over the past yeah. two decades going through this. And now he's, he's helping other authors become major authors. So like yes. they recently, if you know, who, do you know who David Goggins is? No. He's a, he's a Navy SEAL who, who basically also wrote a co-authored a book with Jesse Itzler about living with a SEAL. Oh. And yeah, so he, and his stories are just phenomenal. He ran a hundred, a uh, hundred mile marathon in less than 24 hours breaking and his kidneys shut down and breaking all the bones in his feet and kept going and finished the marathon and then went to the hospital and like two weeks later ran another marathon and then another marathon a couple of weeks after that. So he's a, he's a crazy, crazy guy. And so Tucker and his company helped uh, David Goggins and and quite a few other authors publish their books now. Yeah. He he has a company called Scribe. Yeah, we better, we better get that scribe writing. <laughs> we'll get the name right before he comes on the show. <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. right, let's let's wrap it up here and, and welcome Tucker on the show. Let's do it. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, welcome back to the podcast. We're excited to have you and welcome a special guest today. We have Tucker Max on the line and we also have our co-host Noah Laith joining us. Noah, how are you today? I'm awesome. Here live from Barcelona. Sun is shining and rocking, ready to rock and roll. All right. And we have Tucker Max joining us and he's our special guest. Tucker, how are you today? Good, man. Very good. Thanks for having me. Very cool. Where are you calling in from? Austin, Texas. Ah, uh, yeah. We we should talk a little bit about Austin. I hear there's quite a scene down there. Uh, but first, we want to say congratulations. We had an uh, interview scheduled with you a couple weeks ago, and then you shot us a message. Baby number three is on the way, so congratulations on baby number three, man. Yep, he's here, happy, healthy, everything's good. So so why do you pick Austin? I, I We've got a lot of friends there, a lot of contacts there. I'm just curious, like, what is it about Austin for you? Well, um, I kind of came here only for six months after in 2009. I only planned to be here for six months, and I just loved it so much. I re-upped my lease, and then I re-upped my lease again and again, and I've just <laughs> never left. Um, and, I, like, I'm a, I'm a real Austinite now. I've been here a decade. And um, honestly, man, it's like, like I could go through all the obvious things that people talk about. The culture is amazing. It's an amazing food scene. There's so much going on. <clears throat> all that kind of stuff. The thing that really differentiates it uh, from every other place I've been, at least in America, is the people. Like this place has just a different combination of people. It's like, like the way I always describe it is that New York or San Francisco probably have because they're, they're just bigger. Actually, San Francisco is not anymore. But New because like like New York or or, or similar cities um, have more awesome people just in terms of raw quantity. But um, the ratio of awesome people to assholes in Austin is just off the charts better. It's like 10 awesome people for every asshole here. And in New York, (laughs) it's like the opposite. It's like one awesome person and then you have to deal with 10 assholes. And so the the ratio here is so good. And the type of awesome people here 
because I feel like it's because there's no, there's nothing drawing assholes or lunatics or rent seekers here. You know, like there's okay. no beach. There's no, there's nothing specifically beautiful about this place. I mean, it's Texas, dude. Like physically, <laughs> geographically, like there's a reason General Philip Sheridan in the, in the Mexican American war said that if he owned hell in Texas, he'd run out Texas and live in hell. You know, like geographically <laughs> and physically, it's not the most beautiful place on earth. It's not bad, but it's not great. So like, if you live here, you have to want to live here, right? Whereas like right. a lot of people who live in Florida or California or New York, they're, they're attracted to the legends of the place or the, or various physical attributes. There's really nothing like that in Austin. And so if you come and you stay, it's because you want to be around great people because you respond well to them. Like I've known a ton of, I've probably known legitimately maybe a hundred people who've moved here from Southern California in the last decade. Yeah. And, and probably 70 of the hundred have stayed. And the 30 who left, who went back, were the kind of scenester, clubby, like kind of just the people that make LA awful. Like those people okay. come here and they don't stay because they don't find any people like them. So they leave and the cool people all stay. And so you get this really great concentration of people who are just awesome, you know? Right, right. What do you think? Do you think uh, Austin is going to be just a, a short-term hub for people or do you think it'll yeah. something something that'll play out for the next like 20 years? No, Austin is unquestionably going to become one of the epicenters of America for the next multiple decades. Um, and it's pretty, so there's a couple of big reasons. One is that Texas has no state income tax, right? So there's a huge flood of California. Like all of the reasons people used to move to California, like they're all gone. It's a super right. high, it's the highest income tax state. It's terrible regulatory environment. And like socially, it's awful. Everything about California is terrible now. And so the, the allure of the environment and the beach and all that stuff is just isn't outweighed anymore by all the downsides. And so unless you are already rich or you're just dumb, you stay in California. But if you're relatively young, and I mean like under 40, maybe even under 50, and you're up and coming in life, you come to Texas. Because right. like it, it, you're you're gonna pay twenty plus percent less tax than you will in California, and it's better people, and there's way more space, and it's a better regulatory environment, and everything is cheaper, and like almost everything is better. Uh, we just don't have like cool beaches. I mean, we have the third coast, but it's <laughs> terrible. So like you can't even pretend it's nice. Um, and, and so like most people who kind of have their stuff together. Um, leave and, and, then, and then even the people who think they're gonna be here a while i've seen i was one of those dude i thought i was gonna be here six months it's uh -huh. a decade later and my roots are deep here and i'm never leaving and i see that happen <laughs> again and again and again because like once you get here you can't go anywhere else yeah uh, it's just you know it, it's like you go to I, I visit new york and i'm like i like new york to visit but it's so loud and it's so expensive and it's so <laughs> obnoxious I, you're selling me, man. I, I know so many people that have, and people that you know, they're, they're doing amazing things or in the next few years, they're going to be really big and they're all going to Austin every year. I just have more and more friends that go there sooner or later. I mean, you know, Noah's based in Europe. I spend the summers in Europe and in Southeast Asia and bounce around, but Austin is top on the list for sure to spend a significant amount of time there. And maybe, maybe I'll, I'll never, <laughs> never leave like you. Um, I heard that there's a huge, uh, 
like also startup community there. Oh yeah, yeah. very big, very yeah. big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome to the show, man. And you know, we talked about in the intro all the things that you've done. Numerous New York Times bestsellers. I hope this served being hell. That then became a movie, Sloppy Seconds. Ourselves finished first. Hilarity ensues. But also the creator of the book book in a box method, and now the scribe method that you guys are working on. And and now you're really a, a professional author helping other people become professional authors as well. And that's um, amazing. But you, you've had quite the the life story, I guess you can say. Time Magazine called you one of the, the 100 top influential uh, people in 2009. And, and I think, you know, just for what I've seen from you, and I listened to your interview with James Ultracher also, you've, you've had a made, you know, quite a bit of growth in your life and shifts in your life that has helped you live different. And you used to be the single guy, giving single guy advice, telling hilarious, crazy stories. And now you're um, a father of three and living uh, and a good husband and living a family life. And so we're going to talk about that throughout the show and kind of that transition, but also what you guys are doing at Scribe as well. And I guess the first question is like, if you could, if you could sum up just in uh, a couple paragraphs, Tucker, what has been the biggest change for you between when you wrote, I hope they serve beer in hell to now as a family man and successful entrepreneur? What's the biggest change? Uh, Everything. I mean, like, it's so funny. People um, people spend a lot of time focusing on this, and, and I guess I, I kind of understand why, because it seems like I've made such a change. It doesn't feel like that to me. Like, even though I can look at it objectively, and of course, you're right. Like, I made a huge change in my life. Like, I used to be young, single, drinking, hooking up with a ton of women, all that, all the stuff that we all do in our 20s. And now, like, it's funny, like I go to bed at nine o'clock at night now. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like my wife and I are both like old fuddy duddies and like uh, get up at 6.30 and like make breakfast for the kids. And I love it. It's like fun. I, I enjoy my life probably actually more than I, I, I did my old life. And I loved my old life when I was living, right? Um, it doesn't feel like I've changed that much though because I feel like if you're a normal person, if you're, let's say, a, a healthy person, you should be changing and evolving. Mm-hmm. Like, like no one thinks it's weird if you're 20 years old and not like, like it's it's weird if you're 20 doing the same things you did at 10, right? Like that. Well, obviously, that's patently absurd for a 20 year old to be playing with like dolls or whatever you did at 10, right? But then right. someone gets 30 and it's like, oh, they've changed so much from 30 to 40. Well, it's like why would you not change? You know, like, why would you not grow and evolve? Like, I feel like, um, I don't know. I I feel like I, in my, in my view, I haven't grown or evolved enough almost, you know, like I almost, I feel like I'm going slow. Um, uh, but like, it's like everyone else looks at me as like, Oh, you changed so much and this and that. And it's like, yeah, I guess. But I mean, haven't you, you know, like, and if you (laughs) haven't, like, that's the question you should ask yourself is why not? You know, maybe I had more growth than, than most people to make, but still it's like, I feel like um, every time, the one thing I do know about me is every time I think I'm at a spot where it's like, okay, like things are really good. Like I, I figured it out. Then it's usually very quickly. I realize I don't know anything. I'm totally wrong. Right. I have nothing figured out. Right. And then there's a whole nother 
sort of stage and evolution. But I mean, dude, the difference between the single guy who uh, drank and hooked up and just had fun and the married guy with three kids who's running a business that has 47 full-time and a hundred something part-time, I don't think there's anything that's the same. Yeah. You know? I mean, it sounds like night and day almost, right? I, I think you would almost have to, to recognize this as somebody that has gone through personal growth. Do you think that the per- the experiences you had as a young man in his 20s and the things that you were doing had a significant effect on propelling you into the man that you are today? I mean, well, yes, because I had to go through that evolution, right? Not everyone right. does. I have friends who literally, I have friends who had like a spring break week that was like, they had one week of, of a life that was kind of like my decade, you know? And that was right. enough for them. And they were like, okay, I'm good with that. Time to like, you know, do other things, which is like unfathomable to me that <laughs> you can, yeah. you can get enough, right? But not, I don't mean it judgmentally. I just mean like, man, I could never imagine that, right? And, and then I have other friends who are, you know, still in their, I don't know, 40s and kind of trying to do the same thing. And it's like they right. haven't really changed and evolved. And so, no, I mean, like, to answer the question, um, I had to go through this, right? Like the, where yeah. I was emotionally, developmentally, what I had come out of, what my childhood was like, what my life was like. Um, I can see, I can look back and see, I had plenty of opportunities to developmentally move through those stages quickly, but I just wasn't equipped you know, I, I needed more time. You know, it's like my, my son was two weeks late. My, my, who was just born. Um, mm-hmm. and, and our midwife, you know, we do home births and our midwife was like, you know, listen, some kids just want more time in the womb and you give it to them and it's okay. And whereas our, our daughter, uh, who's two and a half now, she came two weeks early, two and a half weeks early. And she's like, yeah, Vaughn obviously was ready to get out and get to the world. And, and Deacon just wants some more time. It's just the way it works, you know? Like I needed to spend, now granted, for me, I spent longer than I probably would have had I not become known. Like I wrote books about drinking, hooking up, partying. And so once that becomes your job in your life, then yeah, like um, I probably spent more time in that in that state than, than I ideally needed to because it was how I was making my money. But that's why, man, at 30, I think it was, 35 or 36 at the end of my my last book i wrote like a retirement and i was like look i'm done with this stage of my life i'm not going to write anything else like this um you know i I had a great time blah 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 but i'm moving on Mm -hmm. and so yeah that's what i did you know that's that's actually very beautiful that you that you say that because like we we all you know walk our, our own journey and as you said you know some people need one week another need a decade to wake up, learn something. Uh, and uh, but, but, but on the other hand, like, do you think that that decade uh, had a huge influence, let's say, on, on, your, on your style of unique style of, of writing? I'm, I'm very curious, like, how, how can someone be so consistent funny or write funny, actually? Oh, yeah. No, so absolutely. Like, like that... that what that decade taught me, I mean, it taught me a lot, 
but it, it's it was sort of like everyone kind of needs what I call a finishing school, right? Like you have your formal schooling and then you need to kind of like get that punch in the mouth finishing school where you learn what reality actually is because it's never what you're taught in school, right? And so some people, some people can get that really quick. Like I've met people who, you know, six months at a certain type of job and they got all the wisdom I, it took me 10 years to get, right? <laughs> but some people learn faster than me. I'm kind of slow. Um, but it, it, that 10 years really was me learning all the lessons of adulthood. Um, it, like that, that phase was about 25 to 35 for me. And, and it, the, the hard realities of the world, how people actually work, how, um, you know, like what, how the world actually works, uh, all those sorts of things. That's how I learned I, I learn. I, the only way you can actually learn about reality is by doing it, right? Anything, whether yeah. it's business, sports, whatever, you can't learn any of it from books. You can't learn any of it from, like, you can, all you can do is accelerate your learning from books or videos or whatever, and maybe shorten timeframes, but you can't actually learn any of it from that. You've got to do it, right? And so, um, that decade was me doing a lot of things and failing at most of them and succeeding at a few and then learning, okay, this is how life works. And then now I'm 43 that the next decade has been about really getting my base in business. And then I don't know what 45 to 55 is going to be. We'll see, I guess. That is true. Like when you write that experience, you know, is, is the best teacher, but still you, your first book comparing to your second and third, they were, the quality was like the, the funny part of it was quite consistent. So, so how did, did you have a mentor? Did, did you, did you fall in a basket of, uh, of jokes or, and, and imagine I'm a writer and, I, and, and I'm a good writer, but I'm not a funny writer and I'm going to learn how to be funny. Like I was always wondering how you learned that. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. How do you be funny? Um, a lot, most comedians will tell you, you can't be taught funny. It's natural. I think that's bullshit because the comedians are saying that because they want to feel like they're special because they're funny, right? Um, I think anyone can learn how to be funny. It is harder for certain people than for others. Just like anyone can learn to play basketball, but it's going to be a lot easier for LeBron James than for me, right? Okay, cool. Um, the only way I know of to learn how to be funny, I don't know of any systematic way to do it. Like you can read a bunch of books. There are plenty of books that talk about this. Um, I, none of them that I've read, I thought were ever very good. Um, I've always, the way I learned how to be funny was hang the two ways you hang out with funny people and then you try and imitate them and you fail and you develop your own style. That's how I learned how to be funny. Like I had a lot of friends, um, and a lot of not mentors, just friends or people I knew who were way funnier than I was. Um, and I would like, try and make jokes and then they would make fun of me because they were bad jokes or whatever. And then I would get better and better and better and better. That's what human beings are is pattern recognition machines. That's part of what we are. And, um, and so once you eventually pick up the patterns, now there are, there, look, there are patterns to jokes. There are patterns to humor. Um, I could explain them to you in the abstract, but that actually won't help you be funny. Like if I tell you that um, a huge part of humor is the expectation violation, right? Like you're expecting X and you get Y and that gap is what's humor, right? That's not gonna tell you anything about how to be funny. 
it's more explaining why someone's funny as opposed to telling you how to be funny. You know, like, yeah, the, the shock, does that the make sense? Principle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that, that, that's the like the basic in a, in a joke that the shock principle. You expect something, something else come out of it. But right, like right. how the process to find like being funny and writing funny are, are also two different. They are. They are very different things. They are. They are very different. Um, uh, it is actually not common for someone to be funny in person and a funny writer. That they exist. But like I know a ton of comedians who I'll give you a really good example. One of my really good friends, this guy Niels Parker, he is a ghostwriter, a really high level ghostwriter. He makes a lot of money because he's one of the few people who can write funny consistently. And so a good portion of the comedians nowadays that write books have to hire Niels because they don't know how to write funny. They know how to be funny. They don't know how to write funny. Right. Another example is Tiffany Haddish. Like I, I co-wrote Tiffany Haddish's book, which has sold millions of copies, The Last Black Unicorn. Um, she's a very funny comedian. Uh, I didn't teach her or help her be funny at all. Um, but her being funny on the page and her being funny on stage are not the same thing. And I know how to be funny. I'm really good at being funny on the page. I'm decently good at being funny on stage, not at her level, but good enough where uh, I'm still a, you know, I, I can still play in that realm and I can still understand how to translate stage to page, right? Because they're different things. The, the beats and the, and the, the rhythm on the page, because people read differently than they hear and see. It's just a different medium. Yeah, that that's experience. I mean, look, I can explain it to you, but it doesn't. It's sort of like if I. It's like why why there are cooking shows, but there's no like 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 there's 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 no cooking instructions that exist independent of the food and the experience. Right? You can have a recipe, but it's like kind of useless if you don't actually know how to cook and you don't use it. You know, it doesn't tell you anything about cooking. Right? If I give you my biscuit recipe but you don't know anything about cooking. It's like, well, I don't even understand how to begin to think about this. Uh, obviously like a lot of uh, the emotion being funny, uh, it goes back to chimpanzees. It's, it's like very deep in our uh, human being. Yeah, to, to make it or break it in that, uh, a lot of people are trying. So that's why the, the people that are making it in, in the funny business, if it's writing or, or on stage or on television. Yeah, I mean, look, look, here's the thing with comedy, man, is that like, at its core, comedy is a way to speak hard truths that isn't threatening or isn't as threatening, right? Which is why it's really hard in current social environment to be honest because we're in a very totalitarian, authoritarian social environment, at least in America. And speaking truths is like the dominant social paradigm in media right now is, is the social justice left. And you can't speak truth to them. They they reject it and they don't just reject it. They try and reframe truth as violence and as an attack. Right. And so that's why it, it's especially hard to make it in comedy now because you're trying to navigate that. Whereas when I was first coming up, the dominant social paradigm was actually the fundamentalist right. And so all of the sort of left stood in opposition to the fundamentalist right. And so like, it was easy to be a comedian because they, you could always make the fundamentalist stuff, the butt of the joke. And even though they were socially power, they were uh, socially powerful, they weren't media powerful. Right. And so it was really easy to, to violate expectations and to, and to counter norms because 
there was a pretty powerful group of people on one set of norms that were standing essentially beside you on the other set. Now it's not like that. Um, it's really hard actually. Um, but the, 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 that paradigm will shift back, man. Like, like it's, it's, if the stuff I wrote was new today, I, if I, if I was coming, if I was 25 today, I'd be writing different stuff, but, uh, just cause my life would be different. But if it was new today, it wouldn't gain traction at all. Um, because it would, it would be shouted down and deplatformed and all that other kind of stuff. Um, but that's the, that's the thing with comedy, man, is that comedy is only funny if it's speaking hard truth. Only funny. That is the only funny comedy. You cannot show me funny comedy that is not saying something that is at its core truthful and threatening to someone's perception of reality or some power structure. The, 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 I wish I said it. Like when, when someone says something, you think, oh, it's so funny. I wish I said it. Right, exactly. Oh, because yeah. it's because they're speaking a truth that you feel to be true, but you either cannot or will not admit out loud. And they're, yeah. But they're saying it in a way that you can laugh at. And then laughter en enables you socially to be like, oh, it's a joke or it's just funny and brush it off. I mean, guys, like it, you go back to, I mean, I, like I had no idea you guys want to talk about the history of humor, but we can do it because I, I know this, this field pretty well. Um, you go back to, to look at like, like je court jesters, right? The idea of a jester is um, uh, everyone thinks it was to entertain the king. That's actually not true at all. The, the role of the jester was to speak the hard truths to the king, to his face. Mm. But, you had, but they were covered in a joke so that everyone could laugh it off and dismiss it, but the king could still hear truths that his, his counselors were too afraid to tell him. That's interesting. That's the role of a jester. Yeah. And that's what they're still doing today, which is amazing. That's what comedian. I mean, like, like if you look at, like, like look at the the old school great comedians, Richard Pryor or George Carlin. Go watch their stuff. Like, go watch, and like, you'll be shocked at how political it is, and how like, yeah. If, if George Carlin or Richard Pryor, those two specifically, or Bill Hicks, if they were new or young today they would they i i'm not sure how like they'd be in real trouble like there's a few people today who are doing <laughs> stuff like that like anthony uh Jelicenic and and some people like that um uh, or Jelicenic, uh people like that but like they they get no traction and they get they, they're popular they make a lot of money but they don't they they get no coverage right um because the era that that those uh, older guys came up was a different era right with different mm -hmm. dominant power structures Just the way it is. Yeah, they're too, I think they're too, they're too harsh also. Which is another way of saying too honest. Yeah, exactly, too honest. But there's no such thing as, as the only harshness in comedy, it, it, it's only bad if it's untrue, right? Because then it becomes, or it, it, you, people only think comedy is mean if it's either untrue or if it hits a truth they don't want to admit. Who are who are some comedians you look up to, and and I would say like former comedians, but even comedians that are on the on the main stage today. Um, so I got to admit, I don't really follow any. I don't follow comedy at all, okay. <laughs> which I know sounds funny, right? Because yeah. that, like, but but it, it's it goes to the point you guys made earlier. Written comedy and uh, spoken comedy are completely different mediums. 
there's yeah. almost even though the, the structures of jokes and things like that can be similar there's almost no overlap between the two mediums um yeah. in terms of practitioner in terms of of audience of anything like um i don't and it's not disrespect to any comedians at all i just don't follow any of the young ones and it's not i'm not going to be like oh because they're all bad the classics were great no i'm sure there's a lot of great young comedians um i just don't follow them i just don't know who they are but the ones i mean i love george carlin um i love uh uh old school eddie murphy was i mean like eddie murphy raw was one of the greatest com- com- comedic sets of all time um obviously uh richard pryor like the ones i i named bill hicks sam kennison like those guys were amazing and uh, i'm not saying that no one now is like them i'm not i'm just i don't know who they are if there are yeah tucker i want to uh talk more about the growth process that you went through because i think you know a lot of people still associate you with i hope i serve beer in hell tucker and while that was definitely part of you and important for your growth you know you you've really moved past that i there's a, i think i got a quote from you one time and i put it up on facebook because it was a really good quality quote but i don't remember what it was and i personally got a backlash from people uh for putting posting a tucker max quote you know and and somebody telling me who was a high profile person in the news media telling me to be careful of who i associate myself with <laughs> and and i was just thinking like did that was just a good quote like if it, if tucker's name wasn't on it you would be inspired by it but since tucker's name's on it people are pissed off so like you went through this process you were a 20 year old uh 20 year guy in his 20s and early 30s kind of going on a rampage with but also seeking a lot of adventure i would assume and pleasure and mischief and a lot of fun and throughout that process of you growing through that um, there's a lot of people that were offended not only by your stories but your actions and people that were really upset by it and people that called you you know you really are an asshole and all, all these other things you had tons of haters you were very polar for people and you had a big backlash but also that propelled you into success because you would have a bunch of single guys that would read your books and actually there's probably a lot of single women or women in general that read your books more than more than half my fans were women dude you don't sell millions of books to just dudes yeah exactly and and there's a lot of people that just were just engulfed by those stories and really enjoyed them now that you're a father and have a daughter, is there anything that, and I, you've probably answered this question a million times, but I haven't heard the answer. Is there anything that you regret from either things you did or things you put in books or the movie that now that you're a father, you look back on it and you think, oh, you know, I wish I didn't do that? I mean, I would have to be a really morally vacuous shitbird to not regret something before and only regret it because I have a daughter. Like what? Like, <laughs> no, okay. yeah. Can you, can you elaborate on that? A bit? Yeah. I, here, look, let me, let me, let me tell you a story to explain what I mean. So it's yeah. funny. You were talking about someone prominent in media. So I, like I have a, obviously like a book publishing company now and we, we do books for a lot of pretty big people. And I was uh, out in park city at, um, uh, the house of someone very famous. Like if I said his name, you would know who I'm talking about. Like, and you, okay. you know him very well, you know, of him well, you don't know. Him. But anyway, so, so we were talking about doing a book together 
<laughs> and um, and he he uh, he you know loved the company, loved the process, all this sort of stuff, blah 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 blah. And and but he was like, especially his wife, they were like they couldn't get past working at the company that that I did, right? And and so and this right. guy was like, this guy is not famous for it, but like sort of under the radar was pretty well known as a massive womanizer when he was young, right? Um, like, and right. it's like one of the first things he says to me is, oh man, you think you have stories, you should hear some of mine and blah, 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 and this hooker and blah, 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 and all this, right? All this shit, right? And, and so then we get down to talking about the actual deal and he's like, well, like, and he's trying to be polite about it, right? But he's basically saying the exact same thing that, that your friend said to you. Like, I don't, I don't think I, my brand can be associated with you. <laughs> and so I looked at him and, and I, like, I wasn't upset or offended. I understand how this game's played. Um, I, I looked at him and I said, two hours ago, weren't you telling me stories bragging about how you had better stories than me? And he looked at me and he said, yeah, man, I, I, right. But I never told them in public. I kept them secret and I looked at him and I said, okay, so the difference between you and me is that you're a liar and I'm not. And that's what you don't want to associate with. What'd he say? And he got, it, he's suave and sophisticated enough that he didn't get upset in front of me that he laughed. Right. Yeah. But like, of course, like that, that in a, in a, in a weird way, I, it's like I, I get to be right in the moment and I lose the client, you know? And, and that's what happened. Of course, he didn't yeah. sign with us. There's no happy ending to this story. Most of the people who are famous are famous because they're willing to, to, to be frauds and liars. They're willing to be something different in public than they are in private. Uh, I, I am mm. not willing to do that. I'm not willing to lie. If I have one hill to die on in my life, it is the truth. And that has both helped me succeed and limit my success. Because in a society and a world full of liars, the person telling the truth is the enemy. Do you guys know that the you guys know the story of the emperor has no clothes, right? The fable, right? I can you remind us? There's an emperor, right? And this con man comes to town, and he convinces. So the con, this guy con man comes to town, and he he convinces the emperor. He he says, "Hey, I've got you know these clothes. They're invisible to to most people, but brilliant." sophisticated people can can see them and so he holds up like nothing he's just pretending to hold up this gown and he's like you see the shimmering green and the emperor's like yes i do and then of course the whole court says oh yeah i see it too and so the, the con man's really like really amazing he convinces all of them but that's the thing is he hasn't convinced them they want to see it because like he's convinced them that smart, sophisticated people can see it and that's who they want to be. And once the emperor says he can see it, then the whole court has to say they can see it. And some of them are just going along with the facade because the emperor is and others are dumb enough that they've convinced themselves they can see it because the emperor did, right? Okay. Right. And so the emperor then decides he's going to parade around town and show off his new clothes to his subjects. And... Uh, a couple of his sophisticated advisors recommend against it, but a bunch of the other people, no, no, you totally should. So he sets up a, you know, a big parade. <clears throat> and of course, all the townspeople hear about this. 
and and being you know the, the commoners that they are they're like what the fuck the dude's just in his underwear he doesn't have any clothes on but he's the king so no one's willing to say anything because the king you know either the king knows something they don't or or you know you don't question the king right so either way they just keep their mouth shut right and then he is parading down this little girl steps to forward to the crowd and she says why she says very loud at a quiet moment why does the emperor have no clothes on? <laughs> and everyone stops like that because the spell's broken. Because from from the mouths of babes come the truth, right? Right. That's that's the parable. Is you, so you, you you know that parable, right? That story. It's a it's a very famous yes. fairy tale. That's the way we tell it in America. Yeah. The way we tell it in America, it ends there, and everyone like sees that they were duped. Do you know the way they tell it in Europe, especially in Russia, where it originated? Noah May, do you know Noah? It's a, a boy <laughs> the difference, I think. There. No, well, okay. So, boy or girl? It's a, it's a ten-year-old. At ten years old, it's pre-puberty. It doesn't really matter. Boy or girl? Yeah. Uh, no, so, uh, if it's a boy, that's fine. But no, no, no. The, the the parable doesn't end there in Russia. What happens is that they kill the kid. Mm. Oh. No, I never heard that version. Yeah, because that story originated as a way to teach children to shut the fuck up. <laughs> no, seriously, to shut up and to endorse the lies of the adults. Yeah, uh, yeah. Right? And and that's always been my role in life, is that I'll be the one who stands up and says the emperor has no clothes. Because uh, for, and that's just my own personal thing, and a lot of people think they are, but they aren't. Most people aren't. And I, I, I'm the one who's paid the price for that. Like I, I've proven throughout my life that I will do that and I will pay the price for that, which means I'll actually do it, right? If you're not paying a cost for your beliefs, they're not actually beliefs. Or, or get the rewards, because maybe you got the rewards because being, being so honest. That's, that's the point of a belief system. You get the rewards and you pay the price. Like, like Larry Summers um, told this to, I forget who it was, but... Um, uh, uh, Larry Summers, who was, you know, like the, uh, he was the chief economic advisor or something under Clinton and then the Dean of Harvard. And he's an insider. Right. And I forget who told this story, but someone who said, like, he told him the story, look, look, you can either have great ideas, uh, or you can either speak the truth and be an outsider, um, or you can be quiet and be an insider, but you can't speak the truth publicly at least and be an insider. And he's right. Yeah. Right? And and that's just for I, I'm not even I'm not even saying there's a right or wrong way. I'm just saying I've made my choice. Yeah. It, you know, you can look like I look back on my life and think about the people that I I surround myself with and the people that I want to be around are people that aren't afraid to tell me the truth of where I'm messing up or where I'm doing wrong and and I think Noah and I have that type of friendship and and you know you need that type of people in your life to to grow so you can see your 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 dark spots and you're the type of person that's saying that to society like here's here's where we're lying here's where we're covering things up here's here's the things like i'm seeing you know the king is naked and nobody else is and everybody else really knows he's naked but, anyway but you know what's funny hold on like here's what's funny about this dude like you said you hadn't read my stuff that's cool but like go if you actually go read my books i don't make a lot of comments about society i make very few comments about society mm -hmm. all i did in my books all i did 
was talk about my life and my truth. I didn't make broad sweeping comments, women, this, men. I mean, I made a few, of course, but these were not books on social statements about society or life. These weren't sweeping you know, uh, commentaries about this or about that. That's not what they were at all. Right. They were me telling the truth about my life. And now ask yourself, what does it mean when a culture is so deeply threatened by one person standing up and just speaking plain truth about their life? Which, by the way, millions of other people are like, oh, yeah, that's funny. It's funny because it's true. I do the same thing. When millions of people are doing mm-hmm. the exact same thing and one person standing up and speaking just very plainly and honestly about it becomes a threat to your society, what does that tell you about your society? Right? It doesn't say anything about me. Yeah. Dude, I never, it never even occurred to me that my books would be or that my writing would be funny or appealing to anyone outside of my friends. I, I started writing emails to my friends. And of course I knew they would think it was funny because we did these things together. And like, you know, it, right. it all, I thought this would all be inside jokes. And I thought, well, everyone else is doing this and everyone else is talking about this. And this is nothing new. Who's going to care about this except my nine friends that, that went out with me? Well, well, it, it, the email that you right. sent in, in the lawyer firm, you know, that went like vi- viral when, when the word viral didn't even exist. Yeah, exactly. No, but that, that was like such a funny story. I mean, I don't know. I, now I, I I never knew actually until speaking now to you if it was uh, uh, half truth and half fiction, uh, especially you know when when you send that that letter and that they fired you because in in the, when you were working in a law firm because that lady which was a senior f- fell in love with you. That was that was very, <laughs> she didn't fall in love with me. She just wanted to sleep with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, um, she- but yeah, like, uh, no, that was all, dude, there's nothing in my books that isn't true, man. Like that's like, it's so funny, man. It's another thing too. When, when they first came out, there were like a section of people who were like, Oh, this isn't that funny. Like your best story is a boring Tuesday night for me. And I'm like, okay, great. Don't read them. And then there was another set of people who were like, there's no way any of this is true. This is ridiculous. No one's ever done anything like this. And I'm like, what the, what are you talking about? (laughs) How how could you not believe a story where I drink too much, throw up on myself and, and, you know, like sleep in my car. Like what's amazing about that. But dude, it's, it's just, it's a great lesson that people don't see the world as it is. They see the world as they are. As they want to be. Yeah, but like there's some of these stories, oh my God, like it was so hilarious. Like you, you, if you have the time, Chris, like please read it. You know, it's been, it's been on my list. You can find me later. It's been on my list. <laughs> 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 I know a lot about, like I I think I read a couple sections out of I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell when it came out. For for whatever reason, so many books get on a person's list, and then then it's like, oh, I got to read this one, this one, and then it just keeps getting longer and longer. Yeah. So that's the only reason. And, and Tucker, like like you said, you know about this, you have to be honest, you know, to like honesty is truth, you know. But like there is for me, there is a different type of of humor between Georges Carlin and uh, Ellen DeGeneres. You know, they are both super funny. Ellen have way less enemies than a Georges Carlin. Or, or maybe not say enemies, but less people that dislike her. Because she put, like, the fun on herself. She she muck up herself also a lot, more than so, Josh Darlin. Right, right. But El- the also difference is Ellen's not that funny. Like, and I'm not saying she's not funny at all. She is funny. 
like Alan's more like you're right. There are absolutely different degrees of humor, and I'm not saying the only way to make someone laugh is to um, is to speak hard truths. That is that's that's not true. Um, but what I but it, it, if you're talking about like Alan focuses on self mockery, physical humor, things like that, which are <clears throat> comedically considered to be kind of the lowest form of humor, right? The the bumbling the bumbling clown, like she's basically a bumbling clown. That's her style, right? Which is, it can be funny and enjoyable. Like I can watch Ellen and it's a nice, light, entertaining sort of show. There's no, I, I, nothing wrong with it. It's just not, it, it's not even that it's low quality. It's just there's not a lot of substance to it, you know? Like you can have something that, that is light and airy, but still high quality for being light and airy and be enjoyable. You know, like everything doesn't have to be serious. Everything doesn't have to be intense, you know. Like um, there is a role for light and airy, and that's what that's what Ellen is. Yeah, but like Joe Wong, I don't know that you know the, the that new Asian comedian. You know that that uh, he's like super funny to be honest to you, and he's quite light and and like very diplomatic in his in his truth, and that's I think that's also a, a huge talent to be. Super funny to tell the truth without hurting anyone. What, what's your look on that? I'll, I'll tell you. Look, I, I don't. I've, I've never seen or heard of anything by Joe Wong. If he can actually tell hard truths and not um, challenge anyone, then I would be. I'd love to see that. I've never heard of that. Hurting someone's feelings and challenging a worldview are not the same thing, right? Like, it, I think a valid critique of my work is that there are certain at certain points there are streaks of like i get a little mean and i get a little cruel at times um okay i think i think i think that would be a valid critique of my work right that 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 it's not like an overwhelming sort of uh a theme in it um not at all but there's definitely points where it's like 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 to go back to your earlier question about uh is there anything i regret i mean of course i did things that I personally regret. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, you, you, you kind of can't live the way I lived without doing things that were stupid and that you shouldn't have done that you regret. Right. Um, but, but hurting someone's feelings and challenging a belief are, they can be different. Um, but for a lot of people, like, I mean, look, I can challenge a religious belief. It's not up to me if someone's feelings are hurt or not, that's up to them. You know, they're, you're deciding if you're you're going to put your identity in, in a religious belief, not me. You know, so so if he, if he can walk that line, then yeah, that's a, that's an amazing skill and good for him. So I think there's there's just a couple things that, of course, all listeners want to hear about you. What was your your wife or girlfriend's uh, former girlfriend's perception when you guys started date, dating? Was she a fan? Did she have anything? She never heard of me. She'd never heard of you. Okay. Nope. And it, and nope. it, I mean, she, she looked at the stuff, obviously, before we started seeing each other, but she didn't know who I was. Uh, was there anything that came up for her, like worries, when you guys started dating because of the pet? Just curious, because I know this is things that people think about, and they, they want to they um, hear the, the insider story. I mean, she, story. Like, she didn't – so uh, uh, my CrossFit coach trained with her. They were training partners because she was pretty serious in CrossFit and like a competitor when I met her. And um, – uh, she didn't understand why her friend would try and set her up with a guy who called himself an asshole, right? So, like, 
like that was like the big thing. She's like, this guy calls himself an asshole. Why would you set me up with him? And, and Jen, who was our, our mutual friend, was like, no, 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 just trust me. You're really going to like him. He's a great dude, blah, 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 whatever. And so like, um, so she's like, well, you know, like if he calls himself an asshole, he must at least be funny. So, um, yeah, I guess I'll give it a shot. And then we met and kind of the, the rest was, you know, kind of like it, it, she, my wife is, is one of the most grounded stable people I've ever met in my life, maybe the most. And so like, she didn't care. She, she, she is very much a independent free thinker and she makes her own decisions yeah. uh, uh, based on what she sees and what she understands. She doesn't give a fuck about perception. She doesn't care what other people think. She, uh, she met me and she judged me by who I was then and, and what, um, and what I was like then. And she actually hasn't even read most of the stuff. Like, it's funny though, her mom has, and her mom loved it. Her mom thought it was hilarious. And her mom and I get along. Her mom, her mom and I actually right now have a better relationship than she does with her mom because, you know, which is not normal. That's pretty normal because, you know, moms and daughters can often have like, you know, baggage, mom and daughter baggage. And Granny and I have no baggage right. at all, like because I wasn't her kid, so we we get along fantastic. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, what is it? You know, you you had your single life and and dated around quite a bit, had these wild stories. What it is? What is it? And I'm sure you listed some of the qualities about your wife that said, "Oh, this woman is the one I want to spend the rest of my life with." And have um, I actually wrote, I've written a whole article about this. I haven't published it. I should publish it. But basically, um, so uh, I, I knew what I wanted before I met her. And then she was like pretty much exactly what I wanted. Um, I, I wanted a woman who was very smart, right? Um, who, you know, motivated, who had her own thing, which she did. My wife's a multiple times successful entrepreneur, um, you know, does really good in business, very smart. Um, then I also very sweet and kind and compassionate. Um, which she absolutely is. She's one of the, I mean, she's a nurse practitioner for God's sake. She's devoted her life to helping people, you know? So she's, she's got all of that sort of, um, that dynamic. And then, um, she's also like just incredibly, she is a deep independent thinker. Like I said, like she's like, I I am Yeah. like, it's I. It's funny. Like I, I know. Um, I just by a weird set of coincidences, I know a guy who's a pretty well-known con man, and I'm not saying I like to brag. Like he's kind of a reform con man, but in his day, this dude took a lot of stuff from a lot of people, right? And like, like, and, like, and, like, yeah. and went to jail for it because he deserved to, and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, it's funny. He he was telling me one time. He's like, "Oh, Tucker," he's like, "You are the worst." You, you are the last person I would ever try and con. And I'm like, why? Because I'm too smart. He goes, nah. He's like, you're smart, but you're not that smart. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, it's not. He's like, believe <laughs> it or not, he said, it's not intelligence that makes people hard to con. He's like, I've conned some really smart people out of a lot of money. He said, what you are, you make up your own mind. And you ask questions and you make up your own mind. And all the signals that con men give off that they're reliable like are all social status things and they're all like um, social proof things that people like you and your wife don't care about. You guys are the hardest people to con. I like, if I met you guys, I would just, mm. you know, say hi, what's up and then move on. And, and like that perfectly embodies why <laughs> um, I think I like her so much is because 
just like me. She's she's an independent thinker, and she doesn't. She's she's the type of person who will step forward. Maybe she's not going to step forward and say the emperor has no clothes, but she's going to think it. You know, I'm the dude who's going to step forward and put my neck out. Yeah. She's going to say. She's going to say. All right, I'm going to say it. She's going to be thinking it though. Noah, do you want to ask your your question to Tucker before we wrap things up? Yeah, Tucker, I, I really loved your your books. You know, and, and it gave me great pleasure to to me and my friends. And if uh, Chris and I, we we meet a lot of people. Uh, we have a lot of friends, and actually, a lot of them also are in Austin, but. Uh, we travel a lot and we live quite a location independent life. Uh, is there any type of person or, or is there any um, like cause that you are pursuing in your life that if we meet someone that, uh, that can assist that cause uh, we can introduce you to or, or help you with that? Um, I, there's two. All right. So, if you meet someone who you think is really smart and has really valuable knowledge and wisdom to share with the world, but hasn't written a book, um, recommend they, they talk to us at Scribe. Um, that's, that's one. Cause I mean, that's, that's the wisdom or that's the mission of the company is to help people. We want to help everyone on earth write a book, but we want to start with the people who have the most knowledge and wisdom. Right. Um, and then uh, the other big thing that I've really gotten into the last year, and I think is going to be a big part of my future, is uh, plant medicine. But I, just in the last 10 months, I've done five sessions of MDMA, five th therapy sessions, and one um, mushroom session. And, and I'm a newbie in that space. Like, I'm not, like, this isn't a business for me. It's not a thing. But it's, like, it's, been a, it's had a profound, deep impact on my life. I probably changed for the better more in the last 10 months than I had maybe in the last five years before that, um, or maybe even longer. And, wow. um, um, yeah, like I've gotten pretty deep into that space. So if you meet people who are deep in that space who are experts who really know what they're doing. Um, but yeah, I've gotten pretty deep in this space and, um, I'm actually working on two books, uh, in that not for me, not me personally, uh, one of the biggest MDMA guides, I'm helping um, that person write a book on how to, you know, like uh, helping people understand should they do MDMA therapy, what it's like, how to be a guide, all that stuff. And then I'm also helping another person uh, about integration, a different person who's also, you know, been doing this for decades, how to, how to integrate, um, what's the integration process like with plant medicines. Um, because uh, even though I'm not the expert, I'm an expert writer. And, and so I can help the people who are experts get their message out. The, the, just for your first question, uh, you said the smart and valuable knowledge about the world. Uh, will that person, you, you mean someone who is already famous and have that knowledge and can pay the, 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 the fee of scribe? Or just someone who's like has an incredible life and knowledge and who's a Buddhist or, or, and doesn't have... The, the knowledge, as an example, or doesn't have the the, the finances uh, to pay that. Honestly, either one. We, we have uh, like we we have a whole book and everything about our process that you can get free online. So if you someone wants to do it without paying, all the knowledge and information is there. Like that's easy. Um, but I was thinking more people who who want our help, who want us to to kind of do it um, with them. But either one works, man. Tucker, we want to thank you so much for coming on a show and sharing your story and tips and tricks and all your wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. So thank you. Of course, man. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Any any last words or if people want to check out where to look? Uh, scribewriting.com. 
Excellent. Scribe writing. And listeners, we want to thank you guys for coming in and joining us once again. And we'll see you on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. See you guys. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.